0: Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new edition of the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Christian Redshaw. And our guest today is Hannah Hofflinger. She's joining us from, I know it says you're from Santa Barbara. Is that where you are actually today?
1: Yeah, oh, I'm, okay. I'm here in Santa Barbara. <laughs> yes. I home. Yep. Yeah, you're home, okay. <laughs>
0: um, I, only reason that I asked was last time, last time I talked with you, you were somewhere else. You weren't in California, but you're home in Santa Barbara. Uh, you are the National Cyber Risk Operations Leader at Marsh McLennan Agency. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast. Absolutely.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Uh, first of all, hope you're doing well. Uh, really excited to have you on the show. Uh, question that I'll start off with, and it's a question we ask all of our guests, uh, just so our audience can become more endeared to you. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Sort of what brought you to where you are today?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm one of the few, I guess, on the cyber insurance side that got into it. Um, not by accident. It was very intentional. So I, I went to school to be an engineer, um, shout out to to Georgia tech in Atlanta. And then I moved over to um, risk analytics and actuarial and, dug into risk modeling, thought it was really fascinating how you could, you know, use predictive measures to help inform behavior. And um, I ran into a really great raw data set that asked things like, what size of business are you? Do you have BYOD policies in place? And can we put a measure on each of these specific variables to predict what type of financial loss you might expect if in fact you were to be breached? Um, and I built that risk model out of stochastic model, multivariate regression model um, when I was 20 years old. And the rest is history. I ended up getting into underwriting. Um, I ended up being a broker for a bit. I went back to the underwriting side again, um, in sure tech space as well um, before ending back in the uh, broker side, agency side, some might call it right at um, one of the larger companies. So I'm at Marsh McConnell Agency, part of um, the larger Marsh organization. So um, yeah, it's been a a cool ride to be on all sides of uh, the transaction, so to speak. So analytical side, sales side, you name it.
0: That's awesome. That's the first time I think we've ever had a Georgia tech shout out. So th- thank you for that too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so
2: Hannah, you're, you're on the broker side, you're back in the broker side now. Is that mm-hmm. right? Very cool. Correct. Um, but coming from the actuarial side initially, and then the underwriting side in general, when you look at the insurance industry, how well do you think the insurance industry is doing with cyber risk on uh, on the underwriting side when it comes to assessing cyber risk would, would you say they're they're up to date in 2023 or would you say they're more 2013 kind of level generally speaking
1: yeah it's tough it's tough to say because we we're always operating under a much larger margin of error than any other line of insurances right we are the newest line. We are, you know, dealing with a risk that is evolving at a rate much quicker. And we're de- dealing with a, an exposure that historically has far less data to, to look at, right? So I think approaching things with that transparency, whether in a client meeting in a broker meeting or an underwriting meeting and you know, understanding that these are never going to be accurate, 100% accurate, but we're going to do our best. Um, and we might be dealing with twelve month old data, twenty four month old data, or maybe this is a risk that's so new we only have uh, a month of data, right? When some of these new, like think about right, like zero day um, type of exposures that we're underwriting too. So I do think that as long as you you have that and <laughs> have that understanding, um, you have to be forgiving. So while we. We, we still have a lot of work to do. We're always going to have a lot of work to do because that margin of error exists. Um, however, we, we've definitely improved since, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. Um, but we are a really reactive market still, right? When you see things happen, like what happened over the pandemic and ransomware shooting up and, you know, the companies that we had tried to ask to make paradigm shifts before that happened had to overcorrect um it's a it's a cyclical and reactive market still so i do think that you know anticipating that behavior is difficult in underwriting too so um we're getting better at that we are getting better at that and we're getting better at identifying specific industry exposures Um, and we're getting better at information sharing i think that's the other thing is that we we focus too much on competitive advantage when it comes to data, and a little less on okay, how can we come together to advocate for the client insights? Um, so that's a one of the downfalls, but but also, you know, I think we're we're trying to collaborate more.
2: That sounds positive. I Appreciate that uh, that response there. Um, are there industries? For Marsh McLennan that you focus on for cyber insurance, is, is there a typical sector or sectors uh, that you personally work with?
1: Personally, I mean, historically in my past, I worked a lot with like system integrators, um, folks who are in um, you know in that technology and cyberspace. Um, and I work, I'm I'm in a national role, but being out west. Um, I work closely with a lot of our West Coast colleagues, and naturally, we just have a lot more um, technology companies. And those are definitely, you know, trickier because of the tech errors and emissions versus cyber liability overlap. And it's it's definitely fun because you get some pretty sophisticated i t teams who are, Really want to dig in and they want to know more about what other risk management tools you have aside from the insurance policy. Um, but uh, you also still, you know, deal with a lot of companies that are you know, close to IPO or dealing with a lot of M&A activity and have some messy stuff going on and and need to dig into how you know you address those exposures too. So those are those are some interesting Definitely. areas.
2: Definitely and in my research of you i i thought i saw that there were some commentary on agribusiness and construction i think those were i, would, I wouldn't yeah. uh, i wouldn't have been forefront in my mind because back in my insurance days <laughs> i had cyber clients and i had farms that i would insure as well and the two <laughs> the two never overlapped at all so i'm curious what that looks like
1: Sure. we do actually have a large um agriculture vertical within Marshall McClendon agency. Um, so we did try to, you know, uh, there's a lot of difficulty penetrating verticals where there hasn't written, or hasn't in the past been a cyber expert to go and be like, Hey, you guys are utilizing a lot of different technologies. And you saw that, it, you know, in like industries like trucking and stuff when they first started utilizing, right. More um, sophisticated you know, software management and other interesting technologies to help keep up with their logistics and that sort of thing. Um, but I do think agriculture is probably one of those newer ones um, that's still, you know, relying heavily on package policies, um, relying heavily on you know experts that are kind of dipping their toe into cyber and not necessarily cyber first. So we're we're certainly trying to encourage that, and we have seen. Um, quite an uptick in trying to distribute more information and intel to those folks. Um, I think it's more so on the technology or the logistics side of agriculture that you're seeing people take it more seriously. Um, and, you know, the distributor network and kind of wholesale network um, are are definitely you know taking those more seriously, like a lot of, you know, I guess, companies who are just now starting to adopt more, More advanced technology. I think it's
0: definitely an emerging Mm -hmm. area for cyber. Mm. Uh, Hannah, I I wanted to ask you, um, talking about this, the whole notion around maybe effective cybersecurity controls, and you know what we see with a lot of organizations is, you know, they just will take a framework and they're like, okay, well, let's do these controls, but there's not a lot of data that says, you know, rolling out control X is going to reduce, you know, your cyber risk by this amount. And I know uh, Marsh McLennan re- released a report, I'm going to say a month or two ago, looking at, you know, the data that they see from their clients and by far and away, the most effective cybersecurity or cyber risk um, reduction control was secure configuration. Um, and, you know, something that a lot of people were, were, were shocked by or not shocked by, given that is, you know, basic cyber hygiene. I'm w- wondering, how, how can we provide more Data or you know um, insight and advice for organizations so they can make maybe more risk-informed decisions around what cybersecurity controls they they do roll out.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and that that really would be the you know the best way to have these conversations with a client, right? When when you have the financial decision maker in the room, if you can say, "Hey, if you implement this control, you're saving X." amount of dollars for X amount of dollars invested right like that's that's the ideal scenario and there are ways you can back into that data but I do think one of the things we're trying to do is you know it's both on a it, it's that combination of claims data and security insight data and that's where you know you a lot of times you see one or the other and we're trying to both collect on on the back end you know, can we align the variables, the threat vectors that are being, that how that data is being collected from a claims perspective and also talk with the threat intelligence companies that we're partnering with, the other vendors we're partnering with that do have really great predictive analytic capabilities. Maybe they have really great risk models built, but they haven't made that data more robust with the actual events. Um, right. And you can only so many events um, from a, the threat intelligence scan, right? Um, and then you also have the, you know, self-assessments or self-attestations that clients can do to say, here's my exact, like, let me give you the information directly. So it is, it's hard because not everything's binary either. And mm-hmm. all of our old cyber applications were binary. It's like, yes, no questions. to the the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and then you'll have like, oh, you know, scribble in this one thing. If you aren't encrypting, you know, this data, what are you doing in lieu of it? And the running joke was always like, oh, we're buying cyber insurance. And it's like, (laughs) oh, that's what what we call moral hazard. Um, (laughs) But it's, yeah, I think it's those three things. So it's, um, can we collect data directly from clients? Can we collect accurate claims data? And then can we also utilize or leverage really good predictive risk models based on threat intelligence data? Um, and all three of those things together could give us the best uh financial cost predictors tied to a specific control. Mm. Um, But we're just, we're not quite there yet. There are, some companies that are, you know, again, doing one or the other and we're trying to collaborate. So I do think that one one thing that Marsh, Marsh and Marsh McLennan agency does well is we are, we're trying to share data with our vendors who are doing those things and say, okay, how can we, you know, anonymize this and turn it into an insight that then can be used by a client to better their risk period um, to give them the argument that they need to go back to their, Board to say, hey, here's why we need to be doing this thing. Like, we're going to save money, hands down. It's the easiest bet. Um, we're, we're just, yeah, we're, it's a work in progress. Um, I know that we we kind of got a little bit more conceptual there, but with regard to, like, direct, uh, proactive, you know, implementation, I do think the un- underrated organizations have done a good job of, right, like, the first few companies you saw finally asking the RDP question, though th- that kind of binary question is, is definitely solid. Um, there are, you know, different layers to it. Um, and then the MFA questions, right. Finally becoming like market standard, all of those things certainly helped um, drive, you know, hey, I've now seen a reduction in X percentage of claims because of this particular question or this particular control. We can see those things, whether or not we can enumerate, you know, exact costs saved becomes kind of foggy, um, but we've seen some, some good progress there. And
0: I appreciate that that answer, Hannah. And like do you, you know, like you said, it is a work in progress, and it's continuation. It's, it's obviously it's a fluid environment that that, that we operate in. Do you, Do you see also greater continuation or evolution for cyber insurance for you know virtual companies versus you know traditional companies that you know have have a headquarters? You know, like one of the things that. I've certainly seen with, you know, um, you know, some of these cyber insurance um, you know questions that, that get asked, they're tilted more towards, or they can be, I should say, more tilted towards organizations that have a uh, actual headquarters, like ones that say, you know, do you have a firewall? Well, if you're a virtual company, you're not going to have a traditional network architecture uh, as an example. So you know, how do you answer that question? If you say no, well, <laughs> like, oh, sorry, we can't give you cyber insurance because you don't have a, a firewall. Do you see that? How, how do you see maybe that piece playing out as well just greater evolution and sort of awareness that more and more we are going to see truly just virtual companies versus companies that do exist or sort of in the in the traditional sense
1: i do th- i i think if anything you know a virtual company a company who you know only has an online presence or only has you know a, a one particular network um I think if anything, we're leaning towards that being easier to underwrite to. Um, I'm not sure about the firewall versus non-fire, not having a firewall. I haven't seen that particularly. Um, it hasn't come up in my personal experience, but um, I do think that we are seeing a lot of non traditional companies. We, a, a large majority of our what we call micro business, right? falls into the pre-revenue category where you're, you're dealing with, you know, tech incubators, you're dealing with large private equity firms that have a ton of clients coming in pre-revenue. And there are certainly ways to underwrite to it. It, It's not always pretty, um, but if, you know, if you have a SIM deck built, if you have, you know, let's just see what, what your next like projected six to 12 months of, you know, operation looks like and what you expect your network to look like and what type of people you're going to employ, like those same questions. And that's, that's both the, you know, some, it can be the demise of someone with a cyber application is that like, you know, these, these things are treated as a warranty to some degree. And if you say something on the application that you're going to implement or a structure that you or predicting is going to be part of your next year um, in your company and that does or doesn't happen, um, you do have to think about that with regard to your policy and things that might trigger, um, right? If you say you're going to implement MSA or you're going to have X security measure in the next few months and you don't do it and then you get a breach because of that specific event, probably going to be declined by your cyber insurance, right? Um, So those are definitely tricky parts of being a virtual company or a brand new company that hasn't established some of those um, standard controls. But it's we're certainly in a place where, you know, we can underwrite around that. And there are, you know, substandard products that are available.
0: Uh, Hannah, this has been an extremely informative uh, conversation, discussion, and we're we're at time, but uh, I think I can safely say, uh, Christian, I would love to have you on again as a a future guest at some point in the future. Uh, I think there's a lot of different uh, topics we can still dive into, but we really, really appreciate your conversation today. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great rest
0: of your day. You too, thank you so much, Hannah. And Krishna and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. Why managed service providers love the system hardening platform Cention. It saves time and resources by automating critical functions for system hardening. It provides an efficient and effective way to reduce vulnerabilities in your organization. It mitigates attacker movement and privilege escalation techniques and further prevents cyber attacks from happening in your organization. Now here's an exclusive for Cybersecurity Matters listeners. Cention has a free offering of their cross compliance database to get started today. A link will be provided in the podcast description. Cention will simplify your security management journey. Well, that was a really informative uh, conversation there with, with Hannah. Um, I'm keen to know what your, what your <laughs> takeaways were. Um, I can't wait to hear what I have to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
2: I think it was a surprisingly positive message. I like that, um, you know, things are improving in the in the insurance industry when it comes to managing cyber risks. And it was good insight for me, at least, on how they evaluate and assess cyber risks now. And I'll, I'll refer to my notes, claims data, the security, insight data itself, and then predictive analysis as yeah. well. So they're drawing from all those things yeah. and paying attention to those. And it's certainly... <laughs> is in their interest to pay attention because less claims for them means more profits. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. No, that's that really well said. And uh, I, I really appreciate her thoughts there in terms of, you know, they're still trying to move collectively towards being able to better quantify uh, mm. if you take this risk control here, what does that actually mean yes. in terms of risk reduction? And that, that, that was true. That, that problem is being true even before cyber insurance was a problem or uh, was, was something I should say. So uh, I think, you know, it's the, the, the insurance industry will help, hopefully move that in that direction. So from a security strategy perspective, we're not just rolling out controls because we think it's mm-hmm. effective. Well, hopefully yeah. i start having more data to d- demonstrate that it is actually effective in, in reducing cyber risk. But mm-hmm. a special thank you to Hannah Hofflinger for joining us on the podcast today. And as always a special thank you to our loyal listeners and viewers who join us each and every week. If you want, if you do want to check out previous episodes, you can do so on the cybersecurity matters YouTube page or on, uh, listen on your preferred podcasting platform. Until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again next time on the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast.